This is Coast to Coast. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Corey Johnson. We're here every day bringing the latest news in the world of business and finance. And the most interesting stories in global technology from Silicon Valley and beyond, powered by our more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Coast to Coast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. All right, everybody, there's uh, some well-known folks trying to make sure that you feel good. Uh, We're talking about Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, and Jamie Dimon. This is among our most read stories on the Bloomberg today. Let's talk about it. Jonathan Palmer, healthcare analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us from our Bloomberg 1130 studio in New York, right next to me. Spencer Soper, technology and e-commerce reporter uh, at Bloomberg News, on the phone from our Seattle bureau. And we're talking about the three of them, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon, planning to do health care. Uh, Jonathan, let's start with you. Man, this story caught my attention. I think it caught all of our attention this morning. What exactly are these three gentlemen setting out to do? That's a great question because nobody knows. And that's <laughs> that's the big takeaway from the press release this morning. And it they was, kept it secret. This is another thing, right? Yeah, they it, did a very good job. It just came out in a press release. Mm-hmm. There's a press release this morning. They mentioned they're forming a health care company uh, with each of the three companies you named uh, contributing a very senior executive. And they're going to change health care for their employees. What that means, nobody knows. Well, I figured it out, but Spencer probably has too. <laughs> Spencer Sofa covers Amazon for Corey us. Knows everything. As, as I said in the morning news meeting, just when they, they if don't repeat the press releases, Spencer. If you're a journalist and you see a headline that says uh, Amazon throws spaghetti at a wall to see if it sticks, but in this case, this looks like this has got a little more something behind it, given the people that are involved and the other companies involved. Yeah, and I think that's a big, big takeaway. Um, we don't know what they're going to do. But they're definitely signaling. I, 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 big takeaway for me here is that they're signaling that there is a coordinated effort among some of the top minds in, in business to try to just rebuild health care from the ground up. And I think a, a, a big thing they, they're likely trying to accomplish is find additional partners because, let's face it, uh, collectively they employ approximately a million people. So you're probably talking about 2.4 million people of a uh, employees and dependents who would be covered, that's a drop in the bucket in health care that, that does not give them much leverage at all. But if they can get some other big uh, companies interested to, to jump on board, uh, you know, then, then maybe they get the snowball rolling and, and building into something. So, Jonathan, here's how I see it, what, the, what they might bring in terms of expertise. So with J.P. Morgan, okay, well, let me start with, with Amazon, uh, innovation, thoughtfulness, also, some licenses to sell drugs in lots of different states that they've been quietly developing. Mm-hmm. That Spencer's been chronicling so well for Bloomberg News. They can do things in the healthcare business, although they haven't exactly done them yet. They've got licenses to actually dispense medicine, sell medicine, and so on. Uh, in in Berkshire, they've got one of the largest insurers in the world, and the ability to to uh, categorically figure out what risk is and how risk pools work, even the smallest of risk pools. And then in, in J.P. Morgan, you've got a company that's an expert at price discovery, whether it comes to the actual financial markets or in just where people are spending money, how much they've got left on, what their copays are, managing those payments. It seems when you mix payments, insuring, and, and the ability to sell drugs and so on, you've got a lot of the key components to a healthcare system. 
you know, I would agree, and I, I think one of the things in a lot of those, sorry, just finishing, in a lot of the mysteries, a lot of the things that the government won't do, the government won't say, hey, we know how much this drug costs, you can only charge as much. J.P. Morgan can figure that out. Um, we know what the pool is. Berkshire Hathaway can figure that out. We can deliver stuff fast. That's what Amazon does. Yeah, I think the devil's in the details. I mean, collectively, we would all look at this and say, you know, Berkshire's an extra expert at insurance. Amazon's great at technology and distribution. Like you mentioned, the payment and spending and, and funding, you know, comes in with J.P. Morgan. The question is, is how do they put this all together cohesively that's, you know, seamless and doing better than they're doing already? Because remember, these are very big employers who are already getting really good pricing from the service providers that they're already with. Maybe. Which makes me wonder. Maybe not in their insurance well, but it makes me wonder if they want to totally overhaul this system in terms well, that's of. That's what it sounds like, right? I mean, we talk to various individuals in the healthcare space, and it's like, you know, we need to be better at, you know, preventing people from getting sick, right? Changing kind of the way the, our, our our entire approach. And I'm wondering if Jonathan, if that's what you're hearing, that that's what they maybe will do. Or is it just creating their own little internal network? Well, it's definitely, from the press release and the comments in it, it definitely sounds like it's a blank slate. They want to start from the ground up. But they don't want to have any preconceived notions of how healthcare should be delivered, you know, what tools or technologies you might use. I mean, what I would say, though, there's a lot of people looking at this problem. You know, we've got IBM Watson out mm -hmm. there, you know, insurers like uh, United Healthcare and their Optum unit are using big data to, to kind of mine for some of these inefficiencies. It's it's not an unknown. It's just a question of whether these three can maybe bring something different to the table than, than the incumbents. Yeah, I mean, I, my guess is that, that J.P. Morgan and Berkshire, and it, if you're an employee at Chase Bank or you're an employee at Mid-America Energy or Seize Candy or you're an employee at Amazon, you're all probably having a rising deductibles and high cost paid for drugs that actually don't cost the makers that much. Those are universal problems that I don't think they've solved. But sorry, Carol. Well, Spencer, come on and back in because we're running out of time here. 45 seconds left here. What does this mean for Amazon as a company that con continually is throwing lots of different things out there? Well, if, if you look at their model, they, they need numbers. They need to get partners on the customer side. That's their entire business. 300 million customers around the world. They use that uh, as a carrot and a stick to get merchants to offer more inventory, better prices, um, and to just get... Uh, uh, concessions on on getting their customers the best deals. Mm. So that's really what we have to look for. They have to they have to figure out a way to bring in more employers, hence more customers, right? So that they have leverage on the on the system. Jonathan, ten seconds left. We've seen alliances before with the private sector. It's going to take a long time to work itself out. It's a wait and see. It is a wait and see, but fascinating. We Amazon are living. It's not a wait and see culture. I'll tell you. We are living in fascinating times, disrupting disruptive times, I should say. Jonathan Palmer, healthcare analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence in our New York studio, along with Spencer Soper, technology and e-commerce reporter at Bloomberg News, Spencer in our bureau in Seattle. This is Bloomberg. Infrastructure seemed like an easy buildup, uh, both Democrats and Republicans widely in support, and yet nothing from infrastructure, on infrastructure from the first year of the Trump administration. Will that change after the State of the Union tonight, and what might it mean for the companies that will participate? Joining us right now, Ben Phillips, the Chief Investment Officer at Event Shares, uh, which has, among other things, a focus on with an infrastructure ETF. And Ben, uh, these stocks didn't need an infrastructure bill to get an infrastructure boost. That's right. And, and just to clarify, it's a Republican policies fund, which about 20 percent of that fund includes an infrastructure sleeve. So it includes names like Granite Construction, KBR, Martin Marietta and Primoris. All right. So, it's, so it's, a, it's a Republican wish list fund. 
since we get because that might be a priority, but it's not a priority enough in it as much as they they would try to get anything done there this year. Do you think that changes? Well, we, we try to be forward looking with regards to how we pick the policies. So we pick five key policy priorities in this fund, and infrastructure is one of the five. And so we do think infrastructure is, is potentially up next on the docket. I mean, we, we think there's a couple other things that are going to be focused on in the State of the Union speech tonight. But really, infrastructure, you know, it's something that had some bipartisan support um, pre-Trump, and, and there were some Democrats talking about it as part of, you know, their election platform. So we think there is some bipartisan potential here, which which helps the potential for a 2018 infrastructure package. Um Talk to us a little bit about this investment strategy and and how you guys kind of break it break it down between Republican policies, Democratic policies, and how it works. So we have two distinct funds. We have the Republican Policies Fund and the Democratic Policies Fund, and then a third fund, the U.S. Tax Reform mm-hmm. Fund. So that that one's kind of a, a one-off, you know, policy-specific fund. But the Democratic and Republican Policies Fund really invest uh, in the five top policy priorities. So it's at our discretion to choose those. We use a quantitative and qualitative framework to really determine which policies will be top of mind in coming years. And then that drills us down into individual security selection, where we look at you know, traditional fundamental analysis, um, but also overlay a quantitative tool, which tells us w- whether the stocks are you know, Republican or Democrat leaning to begin with. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a great... Or I don't know if it's a great idea or a weird idea. I, I, I love this whole notion. Uh, your net asset value in the last year is up uh, over 12 percent. Uh, the fund up just about 12 percent. What is that variance uh, between the net asset value? It's not great, but uh, compared to the actual um, fund's performance itself, why is the fund doing worse than the underlying stocks? Well, so GOP and Dems, we launched them just three months ago in mid-October. So they've only been out for three months. They haven't built up the, the liquidity that you would expect as these funds kind of get fully ramped up. So there is not as much liquidity in the day-to-day. Uh, the NAVs is reflecting the true you know, price. In other words, only 500 shares movement. traded today, for example. That's right. So small volumes in GOP and Dems. Tax are has been the one that's really taken off. I think it's seen a lot more interest. You're seeing kind of a more normalized volume, and I think that's just a function of that was what was topical uh, in November and December post our launch, and that was where investors were most focused. We think as midterms come up this year that people are going to be more and more focused on the on the movement of GOP and Dems and kind of using those as a live market indicator uh, for policy sentiment. What Ta- kind of testing tax, it? Yeah, sorry, oh, the I'm tax sorry, reform, the ta- U.S. tax reform fund tax ticker tax R actually traded almost 30,000 shares today. So again, super light volume, but not nothing. And, and up 8% since, uh, since it was launched. That's right. What do you guys measure yourself against in terms of indexes? I mean, I'm just trying to figure out in terms of what's, what's the fair comparison here. So we use the Russell 3000 as a starting point, and, and you see roughly two-thirds of the portfolios are small and mid-cap. So it, it's an all-cap U.S. stock portfolio, so we look at the all-cap Russell 3000 index as a benchmark. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting idea here. Where, where do you expect to get volume on these? Obviously, they need to trade more for you guys to make some money. Well, we, we think, again, as midterms are coming up and, and people are more interested in policy, I think a, a big part of our initiative is to help educate investors that policy really does drive market performance. And you can look at past examples such as Dodd-Frank and Obamacare. You can even look back to the 70s, airline deregulation. There's these examples that, that last five to ten years and really drive out performance in specific subsectors and specific companies. So we think it's, it's really helping educate investors that this is a phenomenon that occurs over the long term. Um, and, you know, I think we have some plans for launching a, a dashboard and a policy meter 
which is going to help uh, suggest which, or not suggest, it's going to point to which market environment we're in, whether it's Republican-leaning or strongly Republican or Democratic-leaning or strongly Democratic. And then that can actually help inform portfolio positioning as well. All right. Interesting strategy. And we'll have to see uh, how much the president uh, ultimately talks about infrastructure uh, tonight. Certainly, it's been one of his major initiatives uh, and, and goals to get done during his administration. Ben Phillips is chief investment officer at Event Shares, joining us on the phone in New York City. I don't think uh, we can say what the markets are doing too many times today because this is certainly a different trend. Right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 369 points, down 1.4 percent. S&P 500, a decline of about 30 points or a 1 percent decline. NASDAQ off nearly 1 percent, down 71 points. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. Ah, the tightrope. That's certainly how it feels a little bit uh, in today's investment environment. We want to talk a little bit about what's going on, specifically in the emerging market area, because if you check out some of the indices, emerging markets outpacing developed markets this year, pulling back, though, in today's session, following kind of a pullback in many equity markets on this Tuesday. Here to talk about the developing world, Doug Peebles, Chief Investment Officer of Fixed Income at AB, Alliance Bernstein, (laughs) and he's in our Bloomberg 1130 studio here in New York. Nice to have you here. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Uh, first of all, I got to ask you about today's market environment. Corey and I never like to focus on just one individual day, but today and yesterday, we've seen some selling, something we haven't seen. Uh, and it's not just the U.S. markets, it's globally. Um, what does it say to you, if anything, in terms of where we might go from here? Well, I, I think, first of all, we, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, I was looking at my screen before I came here, and at the time, we were off 400 points in the Dow, and month to date, we were still up 5.5%. But are you watching your screens more closely because of all of a sudden, like, wow, we're seeing so some selling? So from, from my standpoint, that's a really good question. From my standpoint, I like to look at what, what are the, the markets telling us? Are they telling us a consistent story? I mean, I don't remember the last time we had a 400-point sell-off in the Dow, and the bond market didn't rally. So the fact that that's not actually occurring, even though we've had a pretty big sell-off in the bond market already leads me to believe that there's more to come in this. And I think one other area that we look at is the U.S. dollar. So again, the dollar is usually a flight to quality, mm-hmm. and, and it's not keeping that status at the and moment. And gold is down. And gold is down, yeah. So, so I Bitcoin think Bitcoin is down, and Ripple's down. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Ethereum's down. That's that. That's impossible. But you know what I'm saying? We're not seeing kind of the flight to safety or the safe havens, if you will. Right, and I think that that goes back to the. And, and uh, I'm like you. I don't like to look at just one day. The stock market is still very, very buoyant, right? Credit spreads are still quite tight, and we've seen an increase in interest rates, but they're not at levels apparently that are sucking people in to buy at, you know, the five-year today is trading at two and a half. Right. And and to me, if I had looked back four or five years ago, people would have been killing themselves to get a five-year sort of treasury-style credit instrument at, at two and a half percent, and yet here we are, and they're still not buying. And, and yet it seems that the biggest difference in this market versus what we've seen in any one of the last, call it three or four or 500, call it 300 weeks, is that we've, we do have the two and the ten and the five that matter, but the you know the ten of course is the instrument that's probably the most important, arguably. You, it's your world, not mine. Uh, uh, really, uh, with with yields there, you know, peaking in, in points we haven't seen in quite a while. Yeah, in in quite some time. And so I that, think that to me that makes this equity move. The the in context of what's happening with equities. Oh, we should pay attention to this. Summer. Yes, I I completely agree with you. I also think that you know we here in America we focus on on treasuries the most, but there's a lot going on in the European fixed income markets as well, mm-hmm. and 
while everybody knows that the Fed has been trying to move to a tighter policy for some time now, the ECB is really still very much adding more stimulus to the system. And perhaps that's the central bank that that we need to watch more closely at the moment because they're probably the one that has a more influential move because it's not a similar pattern which the Fed is going to do. This is a new uh, regime that the ECB is going to move into. Wait, wait, say that again. What do you mean? So the ECB is still adding liquidity through their balance sheet. Now, meanwhile, the economy is growing very, very strongly. Right. I saw some some numbers today. Yeah. And and uh, yet they they have a promise that they're not going to so lay off guys you got to make that change and well that... yeah I mean why have you committed yourself to 12 months into the future which is namely that they're not going to stop their balance sheet build mm-hmm. until September and then it will be quote unquote quite some time after that before interest rates move higher now they're still negative right so so I think there's a ways to go when when we look at valuation, Treasuries are actually much closer to fair value than European bonds are at the moment. Um, okay. So wait, so you're saying you see a sell-off in European bonds still? Yes. And so what do you what do you do to position yourself for this? Because with the moves of this week, depending on your expectations for future valuations, you suddenly have a chance to take advantage of some things you didn't before. For example, if you thought the market was going to continue to sell off until we see a trade a change in bond pricing in the U.S., right. but you're saying we're near fair value, that would suggest. Uh, the time to sell bonds is over. Well, I think or, from or, a valuation... The time to buy bonds is on, and the time to sell equities is over. Yeah, well, w- w- we, when we look at the bond market, we look at a variety of different things. I mentioned valuation. We look at momentum factors as well. We look at some mean reversion factors. I think all of those are very, very important. Agreed. And at the moment, none of them are telling us that, oh, boy, let's let's go all in at 270 on the 10-year. I'm, I'm saying that the valuation metric in, in at 270 has moved closer to what I would call fair value. And at 60 basis point, that's where the 10-year Bund is, or, or zero, which yeah. is the five-year German rate. That's not even close And we're at 273 or 272 right. in, the, in the 10 Now, it gets complicated because, well, if we're at 270 in the 10-year, German five years are at zero. Why in the world is the dollar not strengthening? Right. right and and so why isn't it? How well, do you I guys explain it when you go back home. I think there's two major reasons. Number one, our trade deficit is enormous in yeah. the United States. Even after the the energy part of our deficit has shrunk significantly, we're producing so right? much oil, and oil prices are rising. That's been really good for the trade deficit and in still, recent weeks, let alone recent months. And still, we yeah, have a deficit. We still have a big deficit. Now, I, I think part of that is cyclical because where we are in the and and look, we the other always, thing is we may always have a big trade deficit going forward here, right? I mean, well, given I, the way you know, we buy things and the way we make things. Yes, the, America is notorious for that. Um, and I think on the flip side, because we have the big trade deficit, uh, foreigners need to buy our assets. And I think that what's going on politically is having them a little bit less sanguine about our political story than they otherwise would be. But where else is China going to put their excess reserves? Yeah, but it's in not dollars? just China. Don't no, it forget. isn't just China. I, I but agree I'm just that saying, China, you know, the Chinese, or Japan, or the the and and look, I think one of the th- places that they're going is Europe, because if you look five years back. When the Greek crisis was was uh, front page of the newspapers, there was uh, a lot of official buying that said, wow, is the euro actually going to be around in five years? Do we want to have right. our normal weight in the euro? Fast forward five years, it looks like Greece is doing better and blah, blah, blah. 
And now all of a sudden they say, well, let's put the euros back to the normal weight where it used to be. So I think that's happening as well. So we've got about a minute or so left here. So um, And forgive me, because on my lead-in, I was talking about emerging markets outpacing yeah, we can talk developed. About that, but I was talking know. about really the equity markets. But when you look at um, the debt markets, I mean, what's your thoughts to investors at this point in terms of where they should be looking? Well, I think that, you know, when when – we advise our clients to think about the debt markets. We, we advise them to think about it in two different ways because everybody thinks bonds are bonds and they're not. There are what we call risk-mitigating bonds. Those are treasuries, German bonds, Japanese government. And then there are return-seeking bonds. And I would put emerging market debt in there and high yield and bank loans. And I think what has happened is most people have been so afraid of rising interest rates that they haven't wanted to own any of those risk-mitigating securities. And instead, they've put all of their fixed income into those return-seeking credit mm -hmm. instruments. And at the end of the day, you don't really lose a lot of money in a typical intermediate bond mutual fund or AB income fund if interest rates rise. Where you actually can lose a lot of money, where you have a lot of risk, is we ha if we have an end to the credit cycle. And, and I think what people are missing is the fact that credit markets are very, very expensive. Yeah. And yes, the backdrop is solid. But they are, they're very highly correlated to equities. And Got if we it. have an equity correction, you're in trouble in, in credit. Doug Peebles, he's the chief investment officer of Fixed Income over at Alliance Bernstein. This is Bloomberg. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. Yeah, how about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's going to drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me. I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funk the music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. Yes, it is. Talking about that drive to the close right now. And uh, with that drive to the close, one of our favorite guests, Bill Smead, joins us from the CEO of Smead Capital Management. A guy who's been waiting for the market to sell off so he can buy some stuff. Bill, He's a value kind of guy. You like value. You got your sell-off? You like it? You like it? You know, you, 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 <laughs> you haven't really had to wait for the market to sell off. Today is very typical of something that's actually happened quite a bit in the last 12 months, which is everybody goes into a coma every you know couple of months associated with how the new technology is going to ruin everybody's business. And so if you if you kind of sort through what's going on there to see if there aren't some companies that fit our eight criteria that are worthy of either either an investment or an an additional investment are there oh yeah i mean go back to look last summer uh, just to give you a, kind of an update on our strategy we last year was basically the year of buying fang misery so we 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 added to walgreens which of course is under pressure today uh, we, um, we, we bought into uh, old media by converting our script shares that we bought long before they decided to merge with Discovery. We converted that all over to Discovery Communications. So obviously the media business is supposed to get ruined. The pharmacy business is supposed to get ruined. We bought into Kroger last year for the first time. You know, uh, down from 33 into the low 20s. Oh, and, let's let's. And, it, it just it's just happening over and over again and today is a perfect example of uh what is a very dark hour in, in value investing because days like today the stuff that's already cheaper gets cheaper right so what do you do so do you prepare like a shopping list and sort of say 
I, you know, I'd love to own this stock at 10%, 15% lower, but not where it is now. Even though I think it's got 15% to grow, but I'm only going to buy something that can grow 30%. So it's got to be 15% down before I can get it to get my 30% up. I mean, what, what do you, uh, you know, how do you start to get ready for a day like today? Or, or do you step back and say, I need a few more days like today? My, my, my cousins, Jake and Gary, called it mind bets. Right, you you place the bet in your mind. In our case, we don't set specific buy targets, et cetera. We're more we wait for the news to come out and hit stuff. Uh, just to use an example from today, uh, Stefano uh, Pisano, the the guy that runs and owns thirteen and a half percent of Walgreens, about three weeks ago bought. $7.5 million worth of their stock in the open market at about the price it is today. So so the Walgreens Boots Alliance, the whole thing, he's yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah, because... And, but the stock's down 4% today, to which you say, so what? Yeah. Five, there's sorry, 5% so, today. There's so much ironic ridiculousness floating around in this. Okay, so you, you, you folks are familiar. Amazon and J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway are going to make an effort to try to improve the cost of health care associated with their companies. You own Berkshire and J.P. Morgan. Those are among your top, I think, number two and number three holdings. And I being in Seattle, correct. you know so, nothing so, about Amazon. Never crosses so, your radar. So, so we own J.P. Morgan and Berkshire mm-hmm. Hathaway, but, and I'm not trying to pick on them, but, but this, is just the, this is just God's truth. The, the predominant uh, uh, expense associated with why healthcare as a percentage of GDP has soared is as simple as the fact that between the age of 65 and 74, a massive increase in what is spent on your health exists. Between 75 and 84, it's even more massive. And above 85 years old to 94, it, it is like it's like a 30%, 38% increase from the prior 10 years. So do you so hate what they're doing? So here's the funny thing. Yeah. An 87-year-old man who took prostate cancer treatments in 1981 is forming a consortium to try to save money on health care by grouping together young Amazon employees and average-age <laughs> J.P. Morgan employees and average-age uh, Berkshire Hathaway employees to deal with a cost problem that isn't even – it's associated with Warren. It's not associated with the employees. So, so what? He's just, but, but he's not the average age of a Mid America employee or a Geico employee or a Seize Candy employee. No, no. The, the only way that you can meaningfully get at this subject is to dramatically reduce the cost of health care uh, in, in the last two to five years of someone's life. That most of the money that's spent on keeping you alive during your lifetime is spent the last two years of your life. I think 50% well, of Medicaid goes to right. 5% of the enrollees. So, so Bill Smead, wait, so are you ticked off at these guys working together? Do you think well, this is it, ridiculous? It, it, you you it, own their it, shares. Well, it, 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 there's like three possibilities here. First of all, somebody owning and running your business, you're always liking them trying to squeeze out costs, right? So so kudos to them for trying to squeeze out costs. That's the positive spin. I can handle that. I, I can agree to that. Okay. Now let's throw out some of the hypocrisy. Okay. Uh, J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway teaming up with Amazon looks an awful like, lot like changing your, the name of your company to something with Onyx at the back end of it in 1965. <laughs> okay. Well, don't forget Astro. You only, got 30, you only got 30 seconds left, Bill. Wrap that, it up. That's, 
that's too bad. I got about five minutes. I know. You just so, so 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 the bottom line is you got three companies that are led by uh, people that are demonstrably on the left side of the political equation, basically saying that their companies are going to do what Obamacare couldn't do, and Obamacare tried to get people that were healthy to buy insurance by law, and, and how much did that cut off the, the cost of health care going up? Will you come back? Because we want to talk more with you. We can't do it now, but you'll have to he come back. He has to come back. He's a friend of the show. He's, he's like a permanent thing. <laughs> it's like a blood oath. He's, you're stuck. We're like family, Bill. You're stuck with us. <laughs> I'll see you at Thanksgiving. Bill Smead, the CEO and CIO. Smead Capital Management managed $2.3 billion out of Seattle, a, a, a fine money manager and a great guest. Yeah. Glad to have you, Bill. Good money always. manager. Listen to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg. Radio. This is Bloomberg. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I feel the earth move under my feet. You move like they do. I've never seen anyone move that fast. Shake. Shake. All right, people, let's move like we've got a purpose. Something's called movers and shakers. They cost a little more, but that name cracked me up. Bloomberg Markets, Movers and Shakers, with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Here we go, everybody. Some of your Movers and Shakers on this Tuesday afternoon. Let's take a look at the S&P 500. No surprise with uh, all the selling that we saw on Wall Street. 421 names in the S&P 500, ending with losses today. 83 with gained, one unchanged. I want to talk a little bit about um, MetLife. Uh, Charlie talking about it. We talked about it a little bit yesterday when uh, some headlines were just crossing. Uh, late in the uh, afternoon on Monday. MetLife, though, dealing with what Warren Buffett warned were, quote, some ugly insurance words. Uh, The insurer disclosed yesterday that it was strengthening reserves or setting aside more money to back policies for annuity and pension clients. MetLife's review of the businesses has drawn a SEC and SEC inquiry and questions from state regulators, including right here in New York City or in New York State. Years ago, Buffett called reserve strengthening, quote, the ugly twin of another piece of insurance jargon loss development. He said executives use the terms to obscure their own mistakes. MetLife, though, Corey, uh, as we mentioned, that news came out after the close yesterday. MetLife shares down 8.6%, the number one decliner in the S&P 500 today. I do want to hit the biggest story of the day uh, to me, it seems, and it's not the uh, 363 point sell-off in the Dow, but it is, in fact, this notion. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's an acknowledgement of how broken the healthcare system is yep. and how uh, uh, dramatically prices are rising, even though the care, quality of care is not rising that much in the U.S. Uh, and that's the idea here that Berkshire Hathaway, uh, J.P. Morgan, and Amazon are all going to get together uh, to try to come up with some solutions for their employees. But uh, the thing that really struck me in the release when I read it uh, early this morning, right when it crossed, um, were the quotes. Uh, and it was the the one that made the headlines was was uh, Warren Buffett, and I always like when Buffett gets a headline, uh, uh, referring to the cost as a tapeware to to a tapeworm. To a U.S. businesses, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, and uh, uh, the, just as interesting, the quote from Jeff Bezos that said solving this problem is going to require a beginner's mind. I don't know if you saw that quote, but it's very yeah. you know you're you're the big meditator in the room. I'm not, <laughs> but the but uh, Zen mind, beginner's mind, one of the yeah. great books in in, in understanding uh, meditation and Buddhism. Uh, I thought it was one it's really interesting to see him quoting that, and that that's one of the notions about how they solve problems at, at Amazon, a company that solves so many intractable problems. But then finally, uh, the quote from Jamie Dimon uh, in J.P. Morgan saying, we're going to try to fix this for our own uh, uh, employees and their families. 
and perhaps other U.S. businesses. And the idea that this could become a bigger deal roiled a lot of stocks today. So we saw shares on a, on a big down day, shares of Amazon up 1.4%, J.P. Morgan down only uh, 0.9%, mm. and Berkshire Hathaway down only 0.2%. But we had, uh, you mentioned what happened to MetLife, we'll maybe exclude that from as an insurer. Right. But if we can talk about United Health down 4%, uh, CVS Health, Health down 4%, Tiva Pharma down 5%, also some other news there. But what we saw across HCA Healthcare actually up because uh, uh, they had some news, but uh, we saw a lot of the companies in the healthcare sector down even more than the market, perhaps because of this announcement. Yeah, and actually I was looking at the S&P 500 Super Composite Healthcare uh, sector index, which was down 2% as uh, a group overall, which is interesting because on Friday it was up 2%. So it's been kind of uh, tossed around uh, a lot already just in the past week alone. Let's talk a bit about uh, Wynn Resorts, if I can, because Wynn, number two gainer in the S&P 500, we know this stock has been under a lot of selling pressure as of late. In fact, it was down about 9% uh, t- yesterday, down 10% on Friday uh, on some allegations um, against uh, Steve Wynn specifically when it comes to uh, sexual harassment allegations that are swirling around him at this point. But uh, today, the stock actually bounced back up about 4.8%. Uh, and that's happening even though uh, the company says it's going to, this is actually Wynn Macau saying it's going to cooperate with regulators um, over all of this. So, the, I mean, the news continues. I don't see any upbeat news. In fact, it was downgraded today to neutral by UBS yesterday, but uh, back in the spotlight and back and forth. And then there's some stories going on, right, that the first, I think, ex-wife of Steve Wynn, that uh, there's some charges that she's just bringing up, making up this stuff to kind of get at her husband. But, you know, the back and forth is going to continue. Anyway, Wynn Resorts, an outperformer in what was a lot of selling today. Uh, And let me finally give you really quickly a Shutterfly announcing uh, results uh, just out um, uh, a strong quarter from Shutterfly. Um, and uh, as you'd expect the fourth quarter to be a strong one for them, but uh, announcing that their uh, EPS view for the next year is going to be a lot better than expected. Shares in after hours trading up 11%. Of course, huge quarter for Shutterfly, uh, fourth quarter, uh, uh, over half or just about half the revenues for the whole year coming in those 13 weeks of the holidays when everyone's using Shutterfly for their photo albums, for their uh, Christmas cards or holiday cards, for all kinds of stuff uh, as gifting things, and that's a, a huge deal for this company in that quarter. looked like it was a Great one for them. Again, they're raising their estimates. Stock up 11%. Uh, great job by the chief marketing officer, uh, John Boris, there. All right. We've also got AMD out there a little bit lower in the after hours. We'll get to that a little bit later on. VIX, though, the volatility index uh, report, no surprise with all the selling today to see it jump about 7%, almost up uh, almost one full point. The VIX closing at 14.78. This is Bloomberg. All right. Dave, you're up. Uh, hi. Uh, my name is Dave. Wilson, where are you? Wilson! Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? We're going for the price on Wilson. Open up the door. It's Dave. Who? Dave. Hey, Mr. Wilson! So the Dave Wilson right now, he's got his stock of the day. And that would be Extreme Networks, Corey. You know, this is a company that's made a push beyond networking equipment into software, and it's really paid off. Uh, The share soared last year by 149%, biggest full-year gain since the company went public back in 1999. I remember. Oh, I bet you do. The ticker on this one, EXTR. And today, Extreme set a 16-year high after being named to the S&P Small Cap 600 Index. In lieu of Time, Inc. Indeed. 
It will be added before Thursday's opening bell to replace time, which is being bought by Meredith. Now, extreme selection means funds tracking the S&P small cap 600 now have to own shares. Some of them might have been buying today as the stock climbed 9.6%. Great stuff, Dave Wilson. Dave Wilson is our stocks editor. Look at the future and the past right there. Tom, timing to extreme. That just happened. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. And follow us on Twitter. She's at Carol Masser, and I'm at Corey TV.